We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And ever since this team was put together, figuring out what the heck this they're going to be has been kind of my own Dan Brown novel, where I've been deep in the you know theories and and the uh, ideas of uh, this big style stylistic change that I've been talking about. And Frank Vogel and the team have been talking about new actions, just a lot of newness around the Lakers. And as a result of that, Darius, this is our fifth season preview together. And this is probably the one where I feel the least comfortable and the most I'm still getting my bearings. And that includes even the first year of LeBron, where it was like, what does LeBron look like on the team? And how does that look like next to Lance Stevenson and Rajon Rondo and JaVale McGee and Michael Beasley, right? That was, I feel even more like I'm still getting my bearings about this team than even that one. And so I'm curious before we start, you know, just do you feel like in a similar place where I don't feel like I can definitively say this is what this team's going to be and this is what the season's going to look like for a preview in the first place? Let's get it out of the way early. Yes and no, I guess. I would frame it this way for me. The things I'm pessimistic about, I'm pretty sure about. The things I'm optimistic about, I'm less sure about. And so does that make me a pessimistic viewer of what this team is going to be this season? Like, I, I honestly don't know what the answer is to that, but I have a good sense of what this team can be good at. Will they be really good at those things? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because there are pieces that need to fall into place for me for those things to work. I think it's more than possible and maybe even probable that several of those things do. And I, I mean, to, to channel Mike a little bit here, when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis on your team, a lot of things are likely to go your way because they are that good. The flip side is, though, is that there is, and and maybe this is where some of your uncertainty lies, Pete, but but it's definitely where my uncertainty lies, is that the formula that I know works for this team, 
or at least around an Anthony Davis and LeBron team, they have moved one or two steps in a direction away from that with the with the players that they've signed. And are those players capable of of sort of tug of war like the the rope back in the direction of Frank Vogel style and the style that we know works. And that's where my uncertainty is, is, is. And that's where sort of my more certainty of pessimism lies too, is that I know some of these guys aren't going to play good enough defense. Like I know it in my bones, whether or not those guys end up being relied upon or how big their role is or all kinds of other things. Those are things I do not know. Mike, to kick it to you here, I do know LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to kick a bunch of people's asses. And I do know that when Russ is on his shit, like, and I don't mean bullshit, I mean like, oh, like I'm in your face and I'm taking it to you. He's going to cause a bunch of people problems too. It's just making that work. It Like, where's the alchemy? And does it come together for them? And And if it does, they're super dangerous. If it doesn't, it's, I'm not sure. Well, it's a perfect segue, Darius, into what I was going to get into. And like, there's a reason that I always start with LeBron and AD. And I, I, I first, though, have to make a quick addition to the Darius displeasure scale. It's recording podcasts. A washer can't be turned off. Dryer has been paused. So you will hear that in the background. Can't turn the washer <laughs> off. Got to get the baseball pants uh, cleaned before we can put it. So you uh, apologies. My audio will be a little bit rougher at times compared to Pete's and Darius's. Mike, Mike, watch Jeannie rock the noise filter on this. She's gotten <laughs> okay. very good at this. So okay. don't underestimate Jeannie here. We'll see. OK, fair. Well, you know what? And that would be uh, that would be my fatal mistake if I ever underestimated Jeannie. So that's right. back to back to the point, though, like part of what I I think what I try to do and uh, the degree to which it works, I, I don't know, but I try to basically summarize everything that I've seen in practice and sort of talk to people around the team and then put the best X amount of snippets into the game you know, for sideline or whether it's Twitter or whatever it might be. So the snippets for me of the preseason and of this team remain when you start with LeBron and AD, you have a huge margin for error and you are championship contenders. The formula for the team remains it, or in the past was a bunch of three and D guys, a bunch of role players around those two stars that has changed this year. That I think for me, Pete is the, is where the uncertainty comes in as to what the ceiling is and what the floor is and because we haven't seen it so we're just guessing but I do think that uh, to kick it back to you Pete I think you can guess better than most people right like you you can still put together at least enough of an idea and mine continues to be that where I think they'll be is higher than where I think the rest of the west will be um even if it's even if it's going to be a little bit less neat and less uh less precise than what we saw in the formula of LeBron AD and two stars yeah, for all of our angst about and and my angst especially, that's been what's driving is you know our job is to know the Lakers, right? That a lot of people rely on our opinions to be educated. And when I feel like I don't know the team very well, that's a really uncomfortable position to be in. And so there are a few factors that I think come into play. First of all, LeBron and AD to start with them, there are going to be situations early in the season especially, I'm almost certain, guys, where we are playing a bad team and we're down by four with five minutes left and we're all pissed off at how the game is going. And then LeBron James and or Anthony Davis will take over and we'll win the game by three where we played like shit and we shouldn't have, but they have a, a certain gas pedal that they can hit. And I think that that's kind of the undercurrent of what you, when you say we have LeBron and AD, that's what that means, right? That they can access this level of, 
up there with the basketball gods for they can access that for certain amounts of time. Now, do they want to against a bad team in January in the regular season? No, they don't. They want to win that game because Malik Monk went four for six from three and, you know, uh, THT is back and he's balling out, right? And so they don't have to do that. But when trying to get my bearings about this team, we've talked so much about the style of play, but I think that the one bit of continuity that we have is LeBron and AD. Along with their elite talent, they're the thing that doesn't change from the previous year. And in this environment where there are so many different new ingredients that them as our core, how much of a burden are they going to have early on as we figure this out? Because I think you put it beautifully, Darius, the idea of I am certain about the things that I'm pessimistic about or close to it, and I'm I'm uncertain about the things that I'm optimistic about. That said, I'm uncertain, but I think like I think we're going to be really good at certain things. And as you put just the players in general will make it so. But in getting my bearings on what this season will be, my question is early on like I I'm looking for clues and keystones. And one of those is how much of a burden will LeBron and Anthony Davis have to bear early in the season to keep our heads above water? Because a lot of what we are bad at right now and what we will probably continue to be bad at to some degree, it will be unchangeable. It's part of the roster. It's part of the players. But the process of getting better is going to be a process, right? And that's what's every, what everybody has said. It's going to take time. LeBron and AD are probably going to have a lot of those games, D, where we need them because we're down by five, by eight with in the fourth quarter. And we need them to access that. That... That worries me long term, how often they have to do that. But do you see where I'm going with that? Uh, of like, we kind of have this fallback safety net where if we're going to make these radical changes, we can still pull out some games as we're going from square one to square two, et cetera. I think the burden is heavy on your stars just in general, like all of the time, right? And when you have built a roster of three stars and a bunch of minimum guys, that burden goes up. Like I actually thought the like I actually thought LeBron and AD to a certain extent had lesser of a burden last season because of the types of players that they had on the team, which were like more higher usage guys, right? And I felt like LeBron said, "Okay, great. Thanks for making my life easier. I'm just going to go and maybe win an MVP, right? Until the Solomon Hill thing." And Anthony Davis sort of said, like, oh, you made my life easier. Great. I'm going to chill. Right. And so I think there's the burden goes back up for them because and for Russ, too. But when you're talking about LeBron and AD and their burden within the context of they're the holdovers and familiarity and all of that, my instant reaction to that isn't on the court stuff. It's off the court stuff. It's leadership stuff. It is. They have the burden of patience. They have the burden of not trying to actually do too much. They have the burden of of mentally locking in in a way where they are steady and preaching. These are the things we need to do. And when guys don't get it, them not getting frustrated to the point that things start to fracture their right. their burden is holding things together in in a way and when lebron spoke about like i'm trying to be patient i want to remain patient like i, I like he said this the other day almost verbatim that like and i think lebron knows himself like he is 
I don't want to say he is the captain of urgency because he, as you guys have said, like he maps out, he maps out a 365 day plan in order to constantly be at a place where he is determined to be at in order to achieve the ultimate goal. And there is a precision to this that matters. But with that means that when things start to go awry, how do you like basically stay in line with where you're supposed to be and not allow the team to sort of get off base, right? So he has a greater responsibility and a greater burden to hold the team together and not just himself because he can stay focused on what yeah. he needs to do in order to be ready. But his burden is bigger than that this year because there is so much unfamiliarity with this new group. Well, there's a reason that the marathon analogy is used so much in life, right? Not just in sports. And like where Nipsey Hussle put that into uh, the lexicon a little bit more in recent years and certainly for some of these NBA players. But LeBron, when you've run a bunch of marathons, you know that you can't kick it in until the finish line gets a little bit closer. So that's what his that's what his basketball brain is doing. He's actually modifying his effort and his energy because he knows how much he's going to have in, in the tank at a given time. Rookies don't know. They have no idea. And wh where do you think the term rookie wall comes from? Because guys just go, their bodies aren't quite yet used to it. And somebody actually, I, I wasn't expecting to bring this tangent in there, but somebody mentioned about Austin Reeves in the summer, like with summer league, and especially with the California classic, he played, you know, eight games in like 13 days. His body wasn't ready for that. And you could see that starting to, so even a little bit, little thing like that, now he's back to playing at least a somewhat expected schedule. And so when you put that to the whole roster, Pete, you made the point about, uh, about sort of other guys stepping up in certain places last year in the regular season. And I think about everybody being on fire from the field for the first month. Remember all the, all the worry about shooting and then Crusoe wasn't missing. He was like leading the NBA in three-point shooting. KCP blasted out of a cannon. You know, Harrell's coming in and just being efficient. And all of that stuff worked. And when we tried to predict what was going to happen last year, we all, like everybody, had the Lakers as the favorite. And we just didn't quite give enough credence to the bubble tax and to what Anthony Davis was saying, which is ultimately what ended their season. Now, this year... There's a little bit less of that kind of innings eaters on the roster. At least I shouldn't say that because Kendrick Nunn, right, can do that once he comes back. Monk could do it a little bit. But in terms of the burden on the stars, Pete, I, I do think that that point makes sense. But I will, I will still eventually lean back towards what Darius's point was, is that LeBron knows how to do that. Anthony Davis should have a bounce back from that. And Westbrook is a guy that's carried a big burden. Uh, and and he, he, again, has to come into focus, right, when we think about what the regular season is going to look like. Yeah, and I think we are probably underselling Russ so far in terms of that burden that he'll be carrying. Even this year, even as a leader, there are going to be some games where that's a Russell Westbrook game where he can have a 35-point triple-double because that particular team does not match up with Russell Westbrook well. That's the thing about Russ. There are exactly, certain teams exactly. where— That team just isn't going to match his energy that day, Pete. And like that, and that's an yeah. L. Amen. Yeah, exactly. And, and there are— there wasn't anybody that was capable of doing that on last year's roster. They, there were guys who could come in and, and contribute or, or even two seasons ago, right? So that is the value of that third star. But I think that the burden is going to be more distributed between the three of them. And that actually gets me to the rotation. And that's one of the, the uh, you know, that's one of the basketball questions for me with this team. In the past, we've had these like 10, 11 man rotations. 
I think that's in part, though, because you have Avery Bradley, Danny Green, uh, KCP, guys who are not 30-minute players in that role. Russell Westbrook played 36 minutes per game last season, and that is right in line with his career average. I expect him to play around 36 minutes per game this season. And so as a result, that's about two more shifts or one really long one more and we always talk about a two-shift player, a three-shift player. Russell Westbrook is a four-shift player. And these are four long shifts, Mike. And that is, I think, going to impact our rotation in a way where I think we're more of a 9-10 type of rotation. I was just thinking, Pete, I so just for me, I would trim Westbrook's minutes down some to more like 32. And uh, I, Darius, if I can kick this to you, that just to me, that that A, keeps him more fresh for the time that he's in. Um, it B lets LeBron and or AD cook more when they're on the floor in sort of the lineups that they're used to playing. And then sure, by the time Russ gets fully integrated, maybe in the playoffs, you kick those up. But I would I would actually like to see that. And then also you get more minutes for Kendrick Nunn. You get some more minutes for Malik Monk. So that would be my idea. I have I have no clue. This is not something that either Westbrook or Vogel have spoken about at all. And the default usually seems to be stars are going to play as many minutes as they want in the current NBA. But uh, Darius, I'm just curious your take on that as to what what you would do with Russ in his minutes. So I could see it going either way. My thing is, is that if he's going to play fewer minutes, what is the what is the end goal for that for Russ individually, right? Like, so you just mapped out a bunch of like tangible positives that could come out from the team perspective, right? And I'm all for those. I'm all for those. My thing is, though, is if... Russ is playing 32 minutes. Are you going to can instead of 36 are those extra four minutes of rest? Are those going to be pumped into more attentive defense? Are they going to be pumped in? Right. right? Like, like where that's is what that we're hoping energy? For. That, that, and that's getting back to the point earlier in the pod that I start, started off with the things that I am like optimistic about. I'm not sure about. I like, I am optimistic about Russ being able to like about Russ's tools as a defensive player, there was a stretch in that final preseason game where I was just like, oh, look at Russ. He's in a passing lane. Like, oh, look at Russ. He is making the rotation that he's supposed to make. And then there were a couple of times where I'm just like, oh, look at Russ. He literally didn't move when a screen came to him until, I don't know, like three seconds after. So, right. And it was sort of like, like, okay, well, that's not what we need. We need something different. So then I start to think like, okay, well, if you're not maybe going to get a more defensive, attentive player, then maybe still keep him up at the 36 minute mark because he may be able to impact the offense a little bit more than some of these other guys. Right. Like so there is a there is a learning that needs to happen here. It's mostly going to need to come from Frank Vogel. I think he has an idea about how he will want things to go. And I think that that of how he wants things to go. It is sort of like, I have set ideas for Russ. I have set ideas for LeBron. I have set ideas for, for AD. I'd love to give him the truth serum to hear like what he thinks is the sort of division of labor within the context of his three stars and what his, if, if he had one expectation for each guy, what it would be for each one of those, those dudes, right? Because that would give us a better idea of what his overall plan is for the team. But unfortunately I don't have true serum and I don't have access to Frank Vogel. So I'm not going to get those answers, but those are the sort of things that are in my head right now about this, like, like about this, this group and sorry, I took that Russ 
pivot Mike in a totally different direction, but the idea of him playing more and cutting down the rotation, Pete, I do think that that is an interesting question here. And especially since a lot of the Lakers talent lies at guard. And so what are you going to do with him? Are you going to, they've flirted with playing him more off of the ball. Right. And so is that going to work? For Russ, like clearly it's an idea Vogel has has in his head, but is that going to be the plan there? So there's a lot to work out here. And the nature of the preseason, I think, gave us some answers, but not nearly as many as I think we would have liked after a team actually playing six preseason games. And I think a lot of the questions that still remain revolve around the defensive end. So let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to get into kind of the first order of business, I think, for the team, which is getting our defensive house in order. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site— TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com LFR today and use promo code. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. So when I took over my first uh, head coaching job, the team was 0-10 in league the year before and had a point differential of minus 30. A bad squad. And so it was kind of a starting from scratch. How do we, you know, know where to go but up from here? Anyway, the first order of business was what I call preventables. And your preventables are things that you can do no matter how big you are, no matter how talented you are. It's just certain, when this happens, can you slide over, right? And just uh, react defensively. And our preventables in the preseason, both on offense and defense, were through the roof. And just doing that with pretty much the same group of kids, we went two and eight the following year, and our point differential was like minus 16, right? So we still weren't good, but we were a much better team, just like, let's fix the things that we can control. And we were much better the following year, right? It served as a foundation. And those two seasons to me are, the reason I bring them up is 
together, they follow kind of what I think the path of this Lakers defense can be going forward is I expect Russell Westbrook to lose his man sometimes. I don't expect Malik Monk or Kendrick Nunn to win physical battles. I don't expect Wayne Ellington to be able to have the foot speed on the perimeter to slide with guys. But but I do expect like Malik Monk to be able to win battles of speed or Russell Westbrook to be able to win battles of strength. And so tightening that up for me, Darius, is uh, that is the first order of business with this team going forward. How doable is this with this roster? Oh, man, like that's a loaded question, man, because I, I look at defense as not a bunch of singular acts. It's a culmination of all of those things. And so can you get those guys to do those individual things, to do those specific things better? I think that you can. I think that you can. I think that stuff is totally doable. What I wonder is, and this is where we talk about this a lot in terms of playoff basketball, but it's actually a thing every single night. And that is, what are the things you can't do? And how often does the other team put you in a position to have to try to do them? Yes. And in the playoffs, it feels like that's every freaking possession. It literally feels like it's every possession. In a lot of ways, it is. That the other team is like constantly pushing that button. Like, oh, look, the button, it's still there. This guy can't guard that guy. We're going to do it again and again and again. Yep. And then it says suddenly, and that's the idea of being played off of the court, right? People talk about being played, played off the court. It actually doesn't happen as often as people say it happens. I've rarely actually seen Rudy Gobert played off of the court, but they challenge him enough where it changes the dynamics of what their team is. And then you get diminishing returns when you're the Jazz. And then suddenly it's just like the games you were winning during the regular season are close wins or losses. And now it's just like, oh, we lost four times. We're on vacation now. And there's a self-evaluation. In the regular season, it happens fewer because there are fewer like team specific game plans that apply to the opponent. Game plans are almost always going to be based off of like, what do we do well? These are the things this other team likes to do, well, likes to do. We are scouting them. We are preparing for them. But these are the things that we know we do well. And we're going to see if they work against that team. And when you have a better team, they oftentimes they work. And getting back to the Lakers defense, they have guys who they have several guys who if doing that long pros and cons list that you would find in some sort of TV sitcom about like, oh, I'm going to date this person. What are their positives and what are their negatives? The Lakers have several defenders where their negatives outweigh their positives. The positives they can do, they can do those things. And if and if the only team and if the opposition puts them in positions to only do the things that they can do okay or well, guess what? They're going to hold up defensively. If the other team puts them in positions where they're going to fail more, guess what? They're going to fail more. That's where it gets tricky to me is, is Vogel going to be able to scheme for these guys effectively? And, or are the holes too many? Are there too many holes to plug? And, And it's a, it's an answer that I don't, I don't know how to answer it yet, Mike. This is an area where I'm not optimistic about things. Like, I'm just not. And if they show me differently, I'll be super happy. But I think that they are a little bit short in terms of quality defenders. And how often that shows up is going to be tricky 
to me for this team and whether or not they can compensate for it offensively. And I think a lot of nights they will be able to, which is why I think they're still going to be a really good win-loss team. But the way that they struggle is going to be frustrating for me specifically. Yeah, well, Darius, you're once again speaking my language, and it's the whole, what I really mean whenever I say kind of two-way player is a guy that isn't going to get schemed off the court when it matters. And like that's the real point of emphasis and why an example of a guy that was here a couple of years ago when the team was never good enough to use it but like Josh Hart to me I always liked Josh Hart just for that reason it's like I know I can trust you to be in tough games to get a rebound to be to be in the right place defensively sure he might miss an open three but you know it's ultimately going to be fine and when they won the championship they had all kinds of those guys Crusoe and KCP and Coos and Danny Green and even playoff Rondo who you know would hold up well enough um, on the defensive side of the court. And last year's team, I, this is where I thought Schrute, uh, Dennis Schroeder got a little bit of short shift in some ways still because he's, he did compete his ass off on defense and he was going to battle on a switch and he, you could keep him on the floor. Now, he was also going to make some poor decisions. He wasn't a great passer, but he at least wasn't a guy um, that, that I was going to be worried about. Whereas Harrell, you just couldn't have him on the floor. And so we knew that once you got to the postseason, that was not going to be a guy that filled that way. So let's enough about the past on this year's team. Who are the guys that I'm thinking right now, Frank Vogel can, all right, five minutes left, up by two against a really good team. Who's Who can be on the floor? And it's all going to come back to some extent on Westbrook and what his defense is again, but he's plugged in there. Like he's plugged in with LeBron and AD. I think Baysmore you can trust defensively. And I think that I want to see more of Kendrick Nunn. As the, as the season goes on. Because I just think, Pete, that and you you pointed this out, I think that he's going to be able to give you more than Ellington or Monk um, on that side of the court. And, and that matters. Like, that matters when you can't... I don't think teams are just going to want to specifically target none. Uh, and if they do, they're, they're not going to just... Bat, they're not going to bludgeon him, you know, like they might Ellington or like they might Monk. So it, it's fewer options than they've had in the past in that sense but that's the that's the group if they stay healthy that feels a little bit like it's got a better chance to me it does but a big part of getting a contribution out of the other guys out of your monks or ellingtons or uh your i would add to your to your list of kind of reliable defenders situationally ariza situationally dwight they're not going to be appropriate for every situation, but against yeah, Denver, Dwight, Dwight for sure. Dwight for sure. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Right. And and even Ariza, like if we're playing a bigger, like if we're playing the Clippers of all of our guys, they against bigger wings, we could use a Trevor Ariza. He might not be good for the quicker, smaller type of wings, right? But that's the thing about this team and the idea of playing so many minimum guys. I would even argue Bazemore is in this class as well, where it's like sometimes he's going to be really like him on the ball on Chris Paul. That was great. I, out of a vet minimum guy, I could totally see how he would be great in a Phoenix series. There are going to be other series where it's like, Bazemore's killing us. Dwight's killing us. He can't get out to the perimeter, you know? And so for me, one of the few things that we've kept the same, or at least has been communicated as such, we haven't executed it out on the floor, but the Vogel's been very steadfast in, oh no, our defense, like, that's that's Vogel's baby, D, right? Like, that is his baby, is his defense. And rightfully so. Frank Vogel has a great defensive scheme. The big question about this season is, can anybody fit into that? And really, for any scheme, the answer is no. Or can you get that out of 
other guys. I would argue that Vogel is going to have a bigger challenge this this year. Is going to need to be more flexible to fit the one thing that Malik Monk can do well on defense, or Wayne Ellington, or which isn't to say that they can only do one thing, but playing to their strengths is different than playing to Alex Caruso's strengths or KCP's strengths. You got a little more versatility there. Of oh, KCP can't guard this guy on the ball when he can guard somebody else, but he can chase, right? And so he's got a couple of different roles that he can play that you can that make him appropriate for more series our defenders on this team are much more limited and so what is the degree that Vogel needs to be flexible Darius for us to be successful how much how far out of his scheme that he's admittedly proud of and and won us a title and has been great for us and we were the number one defense in the league last year he has every reason to have confidence in his scheme how much will he need to alter it for these particular players I don't think he should have to Honestly, like I know that that sounds harsh, but it's just like the thing that he does works. Show me a team where Wayne Ellington plays a prominent role and their defense is good. Then we can talk about how Frank Vogel could maybe use Wayne Ellington in that same exact way in order to optimize Wayne Ellington defensively so that he could stay stay on the court and do that same thing for Carmelo Anthony do that same thing for for Malik Monk right so there is a baseline level of of effectiveness I think you need to have individually as a defensive player in order to say like I'm going to compensate things for you because if I'm Frank Vogel I'm looking at things like look man I'm not going to play whack-a-mole with you as a defensive player where it's just like your strengths are so limited that I can only put you in this situation. And so guess what? We've got so many of y'all. We're going to do that for y'all. And I'm going to compromise the thing that I know works. Yep. Yep. For you. I'm sorry. He is the general. He is not at the same level as the soldiers in this instance. He is the one deciding. So it's not a meritocracy where Wayne Ellington's strengths and Frank Vogel's strengths are held up at the same level and held in the same esteem. No, Frank Vogel's strengths in game planning and, and all of that are better. If player X strengths are not as strong and it turns out that we have a suitable replacement for you who could maybe do a little bit more, then guess what? Maybe that dude's not going to be in the rotation. And that goes back to your quest. That goes back to your point, Pete, about there may be 12 or 13 guys on this team that can play, but maybe it's actually only nine on this specific Lakers team for this specific coach, for the style that they want to play. The rim is still the thing that Vogel always talks about first, and they do have the rim protected. And so one of the the simple, like my very simple X and O thought on this is if you've got guys that are not going to be able to hold up as well on the perimeter, so be it. Like, just be be aggressive. Keep them off the three-point line. You know? Go, I like, love it. Go. This is the run, path right here. Yes. Yeah. Just run them off the three. And it, Pete can give you a lot better. I'm not going um, to pretend uh, to do it as well, but like the what you do with this with this scrambling and rotations and all that. But even if you're just in a straight man-to-man and Ellington's on his guy, uh, like just get up in his face. And if he beats you off the dribble, you got to trust your help. And then you got to trust the rotation. And that's where that's where they need the time to build the cohesion. But you can scheme for guys getting beat off the dribble because some guys are going to get a beat off the dribble no matter what, uh, even if they're really good perimeter defenders. Bazemore said the same thing. When I asked him, hey, what do you think about this team defensively? What is encouraging to you? He's like, well, I got he, – he pointed over to like Dwight and um, AD were standing next to each other. 
and DeAndre. And he just pointed over there. He's like, well, those dudes, like the super, like if you go and you're in a pickup run and you've got this, you've got in, I guess when you're growing up, it's like the six footer, but you've got like the six foot six guy, you know, there's just something about that that makes you have a little more swagger uh, in your step. So that's the, that's the simple point to me is that you've got the rim protection and those guys have to be locked in. And on certain nights they won't be and they'll lose those games maybe, but like in a game that matters, you know, your rim protection is going to be locked in, including LeBron, by the way. And, and that's how you make up for some of those deficiencies on the perimeter. My favorite play of the preseason was against Golden State. And it started off on defense and speaks to what you're talking about here, Mike, is we trapped, I think, Damian Lee on the perimeter. And the guys trapping the ball were Kent Bazemore and Carmelo Anthony. So Melo being one of those defenders where we're like, gosh, how do you, how do you play Melo? And so Melo is on the ball trapping in this circumstance. And of all of the jobs on this play, his is the easiest, right? So this is an example of when we talk about scheming a guy into being able to contribute. This is an example. It's like, well, trap the ball handler. We're not expecting you to, you know, not get beat off the dribble, but just don't get beat off the dribble sideline. This is something like step on the sideline. You don't know if he beats you left. That's Bazemore's job. It's one of the easiest things that you can do is trap the ball handler, especially if there's not an expectation of actually getting the deflection, which there rarely is in the NBA. So Melo is accounted for. Then the short roll pass is what's open, and it's to Kavon Looney. And that first line of help defense is LeBron James. And LeBron is directly underneath the basket. Now, we'll talk about what LeBron's about to do in a moment, but I also want to add AD in there because LeBron is about to step up to the short roll passer. And then the responsibility that that leaves Anthony Davis is my favorite. I always talk about being able to shut two things down. When you trap or most strong side defense, the way that it ends or the way that it looks on the other side of the court, the weak side, as we call it, is one player is defending two offensive players. And their job is to kind of split the difference, right? Like they're like, oh, is he going to pass it to the wing? Is he going to pass it to the corner? And their job is to read that. Anthony Davis is an absolute monster at that as is LeBron James rotating over to the short roll guy. So on this play, it's Kevon Looney on the short roll. And this is part of LeBron's just amazing ability to know player tendencies. He knows Looney is going to catch that and front turn. So pivot off of his left foot, his inside foot toward the basket. And he jumps that. Had Looney pivoted off of his right foot, he would have had an uncontested dunk. But LeBron knows of the many things that he knows on the court. He's like, that guy's going to pivot that way when he catches this. And sure enough, Looney catches it. LeBron jumps it and strips it. And then LeBron, LeBron just keeps running. Melo picks up the ball, makes a great cross-court pass to Russ. We've been great with our cross-court passes in transition. Makes that pass to Russ. And then Russ throws one of his just brilliant chess passes 100 miles an hour and actually overthrows LeBron a little bit. It, like it would have been a perfect pass if the court was 100 feet long instead of 94. But LeBron still caught it and, you know, made an adjustment, made a nice left handed layup. And that to me was I was like, that's it right there. That's what it's going to look like. That is what you you perf put it perfectly, D, the idea of I'm going to change what I do for you. No, I'm just going to go to the other guy that can do the thing that I know works within Vogel's scheme. There is some flexibility. There is some ability to put those types of players out there. There definitely is. And the same role that you just described for Carmelo Anthony is what basically the Lakers asked Marcus Saul to do last season. 
in in a trap. And I swear, the same element that you just said, like, hey, Mark's not going to be the most fleet of foot dude. He's a dude out on the perimeter that you probably have to compensate for a little bit more. How is that going to work with Marcus Gasol? And it worked fine. Now he's Marcus Gasol. He's brilliant. He's got better hands. He takes better angles. He's a former defensive player of the year. His instincts are higher. I think for all of these Laker defenders, there are going to be fewer situations in which they can do the thing that is actually going to help the team. And that's in contrast to what it was the previous two seasons where just more guys could do more. When Mike brought up the idea of like two-way guys, you know who was a stealthy two-way guy for the Lakers like two seasons ago and part of last season too was like Markeith Morris. He wasn't the best two-way guy, but he held up in a variety of situations. The Lakers need a little bit more of that. And I'm honestly hoping some of these guys surprise me. We've been talking up none a certain amount. Like, I think what the Lakers really need are seven core defensive players that can yes. play the ranges of that, that accommodate the range of styles that the team wants to play. LeBron and AD are two, and they can play any different style. Yes. You need two more who could probably play any different style. That is probably Bazemore and potentially Russ if he's locked in. And then you need three more guys who, in a range of different ideas, can do this thing or can do some of this thing or can do some of that thing. And if I and if y'all were seeing what Pete and Mike are seeing right now, I'm moving my hands in like a scale from like one side of the screen to like the other because there really is a range. And Dwight Howard is on that range. And I would say Trevor Ariza is on that range. And can THT be on that range? Yes. If he is, then you've got then you've got seven dudes who can potentially close a game for you. And it is, okay, we're out there, close game, two minutes left, we're switching everything. Go do it. Guess who's on the floor at that point? It is these five dudes, right? It's 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 Russ, it's Ariza, it's LeBron, it's AD, and maybe THT. It's, and maybe it's THT, right? Okay, now, no, we need to get over screens and we need to trap and we need to rotate behind that, right? So now it's these five dudes. It's LeBron, it's Russ, it's AD, and it's... None. None. Yeah. And maybe Bazemore. Yeah. And now it's, okay, we need rim protection. We need to play... We need to we're play... Playing no, we're, we're, we're playing Jokic. We're playing Jokic. It's, and it's no roller behind. It is this idea of we're going to play big in the paint. We need to do all of these things. And it's LeBron. It's AD. It's Dwight. It's Russ. And maybe at that point, it's THT. It's none. And so, like I said, though, you need seven dudes. And can you get to seven? Now optimistically the lakers can get to seven i am less sure though about that idea than i am about ideas about who actually can't play who who are not one of the seven i I got if they can't they should know by the all-star break right and then make a move great point 
Great point. And that's why, and so let's wrap it up here. This was intended to be a season preview, but that would be inappropriate. We can't see far enough ahead with this new group of guys. This is the right now preview, the, the for now preview, probably not even to the all-star break preview, although Mike puts uh, forth a great point in that at no point during this era has the team we've started with been the team that we've gone into the playoffs with. So we will be learning a lot of the, and the answers to these questions, I think they used the first half of the season to answer questions. I think that's in part the switch from Mark to Drummond last year, right? Is that we're, we want to change a style of play that they evaluated and wanted to go in a different direction. So I don't think this the first half of this season is going to be any different. Is It's going to be a lot of evaluation, a lot of who fits in where, how can we alter, how much can we alter what we do to fit the talent. But for now, it's a, a right now preview. Uh, we will be, be back tomorrow for, I suppose, a right now preview of the Western Conference. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.